Geek Shock. Geek Shock. So, so, Jeff, why do you want to hate fuck James Taylor? <laughs> I don't want to hate fuck anybody. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? There's a couple of people on my list. <laughs> I just dislike James Taylor. I can't even tell you. I just None of his songs have ever struck a chord with me. They just what? haven't. Mex- yeah. Mexico never did it for you? No. Nope. Fire, rain? Yeah. No, not really. What? Wow. I'm just telling you. All right. Shower what? the people? Godless. What, what folk uh, stuff do you like? Oh God! Because because I'm sensing genre less than artist. Ah, uh, maybe so, maybe so. I mean, you know, you get that with a lot of people. It's like you know, I hate so and so. Everything might be solved in the answer to this next question. How do you feel about Fogelberg? There you go. I like Fogelberg. Okay, see that says it all up. Yeah. Uh, really? Yeah, I mean, I don't like everything same. of his, but I like I like most of his stuff. Wow. So, how do you feel about yeah. Gordon Lightfoot? I, I like Gordon oh. Lightfoot. Canada's Elvis. How do you feel about Dan Haggerty? <laughs> I don't know Dan Haggerty. He's an Sorry. actor. He doesn't even. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, when I was working for Hallmark, setting up shops, uh, we had to go in and do a Christmas display. And over the music, they had these Christmas songs, and I, and, I, and of course, you're there all day setting up these shops, and the music is playing all day, and they just had this one album of Christmas things, and I was like, I was like, man, this just sounds like. Somebody doing a piss poor James Taylor uh, impression doing Christmas songs. And we were done for the day, and I went up, you know, to say goodbye to the manager. And sure enough, right there at the counter, James Taylor Christmas, Hallmark Christmas album. And I was like, okay. Mr. Taylor's just doing it for the paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> before He's covering his own stuff, shitty. Before yeah. we get off the subject of Christmas music, I just have to say. Oh, no. If you're still playing Christmas music this late into January, stop it. Yeah, Steve. Stop it. Stop it, Steve. What? I run into stores that are still playing Christmas oh, music. No. Well, I'm just now. like, oh, whoa, stop whoa, it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy. If you still have easy. Christmas decorations up. What if you're a now. Christmas store? Stop it. <laughs> hey, I'm, sta- I'm sitting next to a Christmas whoa, tree, Jeff. Oh, whoa, whoa. Diversity. Uh, Already took inclusion. a picture of it. Um, hey, uh, first of all. What are you going to keep it up till May when is, is Jesus' is po- apparently supposed real birthday? Part of, <laughs> that might be an idea. Part of Christmas <laughs> for many cultures actually is celebrated in the first week of January. Right. Uh, a lot of people who celebrate Christmas on the 25th, the season, the holiday season, actually doesn't stop until Epiphany. Which is Sunday, um, yesterday, yeah. or, or Friday. Uh, yeah. Saturday. No, no, no. It was, it was, it was, it was it's recently. A, it's a weekend thing. Yeah. Yes. And, <laughs> and so, and the rule for Christmas decorations varies for some people saying you keep it up through New Year's, through Epiphany. And I generally will go Epiphany to January 15th, and then I'll finally take the stuff down. This sounds like a whole bunch of excuses for laziness, No. Kirsten. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. <laughs> no, I don't want to take my decorations down, so I'm just going to make up some excuse for why I have to leave them up. Well, now, my parents did that. I still remember <clears throat> combing the house, and my parents used to decorate every horizontal surface in the house (laughs) and one year i got fed up and i combed the house and made a big pile on our giant dining room table that was about three feet high 
of all the Christmas decorations in the house, because I'd already put the gotten the tree down and put it away, but my parents didn't take care of their shit, <laughs> a week before Easter. <laughs> and my parents, and it was really funny because it was around this then. This is my I'm not shocked face. My parents <laughs> finally fessed up. Well, we were, we, we were getting to the point where we were like, let's just leave them up all year. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, God, because my mom did all bunch of angels shit and stuff oh, like course. that. And it's like, angels everywhere for 12 months? No, thanks. Angels in so, America. So no, it's not mm-hmm. a laziness thing. It's a, in fact, it's Unless sort of like when people start pulling it down the 26th or the 1st of January. <laughs> Speaking of pulling down the people, welcome to Geek Shock number 721. <laughs> I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. With Professor Biggs. And we're to talk week and geek up. Continue. But when they pull it down then, I'm like, Jesus Christ, you can't wait to get, uh, get the holiday uh, packed up and away. You can't move fast enough, can you? Yeah. So I'm just sort of like, you know. I will say. You know, uh, go ahead. Uh, there, was, uh, there was a year where we made the conscious decision to leave up the Christmas tree after Christmas and then just redecorate it every season. Oh. We, so there, there was a Valentine's tree. There was a shamrock tree. That's fun. There was a Fourth of July tree. We literally kept it up all year and just changed it with the season slash holiday. Who, and I, and who is the, we? Mom. <laughs> oh, Mom <okay>. is we. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a fun idea. And it we, is a fun so idea. we put it away is. the Christmas decorations and we put up, we'd make and put up Valentine's decorations. You know, it's really fun, too, with uh, t- with uh, today's uh, technology and stuff. You get one of those pre-lit trees with the LED lights, and so, like, on uh, St. Patty's Day, you can have them cycle just green lights, or, you know, Valentine's, <laughs> you just have, like, pink and reds flowing yeah. through and stuff it's, like that. It's funny you mention that, because I was watching uh, a video on new home construction, and they're talking about how people are building accent lighting into their homes nowadays. Mm-hmm. So it's basically LEDs built into like the trim right. all around the house. Yeah. And it's programmable. So in the holiday season, you don't have to put up Christmas lights. You just change the program. Sure. That's what and my it, wife did in the condo. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, sh- we, we, she built shelf all the way around because there's a, we have a vaulted ceiling in our right. condo mm-hmm. and there's a shelf now that goes around the entire thing. And yep, up there, she put lights, programmable lights that she could change color-wise whenever she thought it would benefit a per- particular design. Yeah. So, and it's phenomenal. Yeah. She has an amazing design eye. I would never thought of that, but gosh darn it, it's, it's in the home now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah, this cool. guy in this video I was watching, he was just showing it off. He's like, so here's here's what your house might look like, you know, 300 days out of the year. And it's, it's nice. It's got, you know, just accent lighting around certain areas of the house outside and then he goes now what you can really do interestingly is change it to the holiday setting and then suddenly you've got reds and greens everywhere right and you know some of them it's chasing lights so they they're chasing the red and green around the house yeah. and then it's programmable to music and oh, everything like and you guys probably drive in to uh for recording off of whitney ranch if you would yeah. go the back way on the other side of flint rock there is one psycho guy <laughs> his entire front of his house has this LED uh, netting mm. over it. He put it up first for Halloween and had all sorts of Halloween. And then I noticed it didn't go anywhere. And sure enough, uh, he was Christmased out. And I mean, he was 
they were their own little cul-de-sac and he Mm -hmm. was lighting up that cul-de-sac every night because the whole front of his house was just shimmering shifting pulsating flashing for some reason i had to take the opposite way to your house one day and i passed by i'm like Ah, that's dedication there you go okay yeah yeah that's crazy (laughs) well before we get into what geeky things we did as explained last show I have gotten a few fun things to go with what's going in my mouth. And so we're going to do that right now. Oh, boy. Oh, right. Now so I this know time, why Barry and Deb are not here. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it right there. So I bring oh, to you. <laughs> I don't know, but it's green. Mowed and bottled in the USA grass soda. Oh, God. Oh, maybe this will taste like wheatgrass, which, you know what? Wheatgrass juice tastes just like grass. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind, Steve, would you mind uh, pouring a little bit of that into each shot glass? Does it smell pleasant? You just smelled it. It smells like wheatgrass. <laughs> grass soda. It's a beautiful color. It's just, it's, well. It's green. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of a grass green, but a, like a pleasant, so gave Kay a big wow. amount. Wow. There's my roommate, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. All right. This is, this oh. is the geek shock pour. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, I still have to lift the damn thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't hold it over the board. Yeah, what are you doing to me? It was perfect. Steve Steve would be everybody's favorite bartender if he's pouring yeah. shots. Except the man. I'm going to have to take it from the bottle so I can yeah. actually lift it. Uh, but yeah. Steve, you're the kind of bartender people want. Oh, yeah. yeah right there. To, but, to not the top. The, the, but not the one they deserve. <laughs> <laughs> he's filling shot glasses. Now it's all the way to the top. And I can't goddamn lift it. All right. It's okay. Surface tension will keep it steady. Yeah, but my hand tension will I not. I should have thought about that before I reached with my left hand, because my left hand is the one I got the medication thing where it, it mm. wobbles sometimes. It has a grass slash plastic uh, smell to it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it smells like plastic grass, yeah, where they tried to put the grass mm. scent in it. All right, now away from the microphone, uh, in, imbibe. Slancha. That's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. But you know what? There's some grass flavor in there. Yeah. There's some yeah. A- absolute grass flavor. There's also like a hint of Sprite if you took away the lemon. Mm-hmm. And melon. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting a melony mm. kind yeah. of a green apple-y. Uh, I was going to say right. apple or gr- green yeah. apple or melon is what I was getting. I wasn't getting any grass at all. Oh, no. It, it, it almost tastes like if you did like soda and wheatgrass juice. Mm. <laughs> well... Unlike the Lester Fixon's mustard of last week, uh, this one actually makes good on its name. Yeah. It's not horrible. It's not great. I'm not going to say no. it's great. But unlike the last one, this is drinkable. Yeah. Yeah. There's a just a hint of sweetness to it. Uh, it's no Aldebaran whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a tentative thumbs up for grass soda? Yeah. Not a not a thumb sideways. Hurricane sugar. No, not even thumb sideways. Just like just sideways, but just tilt that thumb up maybe about three degrees. All right, fair enough. Yep, that's about right. So, okay, you know what? What? That's a one in the win column. I'll take it. One in the win column. Really? uh, For our palace. It wasn't so bad. Is that a win for you? Yes. Yes. (laughs) What's going to my mouth is absolutely a win. Yeah, I was going to say, for all the years we've been doing this, I'll take that as a win. Well, I'm talking about Todd. He's the one who brought it. I kind (laughs) of... Well, we do know Todd is a glutton for punishment, so, you know... On the pain-inflicted level, it's a two out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's a disappointment. There you go. However... 
as far as just my palate saying, that's not a thousand-year-old egg. I'll take it. There you go. <laughs> On the pain-inflicted level, it's only two tots. So, yeah. so what is the scale? Is it, uh, is it a scale from, say, Sprite to uh, the uh, Steven Seagal's lightning bolt? Is that the scale? Is is the lightning bolt the worst one we've done? Because we've is, done some pretty horrible ones. We've done some horrible ones. Nothing's beaten lightning bolt. Nothing. Like that bacon candy was yep. goddamn I, awful. I, I missed the I missed um, the lightning bolt. I still remember. I think it was the ranch was not great. Yeah, yeah that it's was pretty, it's that was pretty nasty. It was pretty that ranch painful. soda was pretty awful. Yeah. Although I'm very confused as to why Jeff put Sprite at the top of the list. Is that I don't know. I just I was trying to say like least offensive to most offensive. Well, he means of course Coke Cherry Zero. <laughs> there it is. Oh. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> One that's still within its expiration date. Yes. Don't tell Andy that soda doesn't expire. Oh, according by, to him. Well, oh yeah. So Kirsten, on on the subject of Sprite, I finally tried that cranberry ah. one that you're always the cranberry spice one you're always yeah lauding. It was actually pretty good. Although the whole time I'm drinking it, I can't help but think this would be better as a hot beverage with the the flavor profile because mm. it's hot, I'm, I, hot Sprite. No, no, oh no. My God. It doesn't taste like Sprite. That's what I'm saying. It's my like God. a. It's like a spiced cranberry drink. Something that you would drink in the wintertime, obviously, is when they release it. Mm -hmm. But it tasted like the kind of thing that you would have at like a dinner party as a, a as a hot after dinner drink. That that's the flavor profile. Yeah. It is so funny you say that because just the other night I was with uh, Major Meh uh -huh. Lewis, who had bought some Dr. Pepper strawberry vanillas which i have currently in my fridge and uh he drank that and someone else did and they agreed if it had been warm it mm -hmm. actually would have been a perfect drink not warm like in room temperature yeah but as like a little hot toddy yep temperature it actually would have been a pretty great drink hmm. so you heard it here folks put your sprite in the, the microwave. microwave, yes. <laughs> well, wasn't there an ad like a few decades ago where they were talking about a holiday version of Dr. Pepper that you're supposed to drink hot? I swear to God, I've seen a picture uh, of somebody's this. Somebody's going to do that. Someone's done it. Doesn't mean you should, but that's I'm sure no. it's been done. Well, he's saying and advertised. Ad, that would be like it was in a magazine or something. Wow. Now someone's got to have mean, a Dr. Pepper hot take. I love, I love <laughs> also just the sheer the fact with the whole cranberry thing because that comes back to the whole FDA looking to make you know cranberry sauce cans actually include the sugar content in you know <laughs> run and and the Cranberry Growers Association was like no 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 you don't understand cranberries taste so shitty we have to put in sugar and if we tell them how much sugar's in there this could kill our business <laughs> yeah. so true though because well it's the bitter and the yes. sugar contrast yes. so, like a sweet and sour it's uh you that's what makes it work 100% like my when my crazy grandpa would salt the watermelon I, we oh, anybody that, who that has was, country roots, we has, did that. Oh, yeah. yeah, we always yeah. put salt on the watermelon. Yeah. It, 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 and they, they've proven that it actually increases the up. sweetness. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yummy. Well, yeah, it was, it, I was right. First promoted in the 1960s, hot Dr Pepper was developed as a corporate strategy to keep profits strong during the holiday season when sales of cold pop plummeted. It caught on mostly in the American South, cradle of fizzy innovation, where it lives to this day in some little towns. In most of the country, hot Dr. Pepper has long since faded into obscurity. Wow. I'm not here to teach people how to drink. You do you. <laughs> Jeff is here to tell us this 
Small Town America Obscura. Shove your Dr. Pepper in the microwave, people. That's what, <laughs> what I'm hearing. <laughs> My God. Have yourself a hot pepper. I'll finish this. Uh, I'll finish this and drink the whole thing without burping. Oh, my tummy hurts. Oh, oh God. <laughs> I hate those videos. Oh, what? are you kidding? I mean, they're they're entertaining as all hell, but it just... It irritating? Irritating. Irritating. Inter- irritating. Inter- my God, did we just invent a word? TM. Entertaining. TM. <laughs> Trademark. Irritating. <laughs> Jeff, you mad genius. It just... It, <laughs> The sheer lack of intelligence that describes that all of YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> you're, yes. you're, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. Irritating. It does t- describe trademark? YouTube. <laughs> yeah, really. Irritating. That's perfect. Oh, insanely. Right up. There. You know what? Best thing since Glappy Jeff. Good job. Yeah, lean in, Jeff. There we go. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, you know what? Wordsmith, sir. Wordsmith. <laughs> so now that our palates have been cleansed. Uh, what geeky things you do this week? Uh, Jeff, let's start with you. Oh, goodness. Well. Because I know you did something really cool. I did something really cool. So there's Wait, a very short list. What? But you're here, so it couldn't have been Disneyland. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a very short list of films that hold a very special place in my heart, but okay, that so... I have never seen on the big screen. All right. That's well, all on that list. It's a uh, short list. It's a very short list. Uh but one of them is Airplane. <laughs> Aha! A very important movie in my psychological development. Uh, it really informed and actually uh, played to my particular sense of humor, especially when I got old enough to really understand all of the jokes. Was it the boobs? Uh, no, it wasn't even the boobs. Oh. I, it's, you know, because it's one like five second scene. If no, two second scene. Yeah. Anyway, but to an eight year old, it yes. means everything. Wait, I was posting something on Facebook. Somebody say boobs. Nope. Yes. Um, what? 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 I get no. half no, no. half yes. 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 No. Nope. Yes. No. Uh, guys, no. this is very yes. irritating. <laughs> <laughs> but airplane, the classic 1980 film by the Zucker Abrams and Zucker team. The height of all of their films, in my opinion. Yeah. A lot of great ones. Yes. Naked Gun. Well, it Top was... Secret. Top, yes. Kentucky Fried Movie. Kentucky... I, I still love Kentucky Fried Movie for what it is. It, you know, it it's a clip There's show. There's a Lazenby thing. What do you do after Honor Majesty's Secret Service? Kentucky Fried Kentucky Movie. movie. <laughs> but Airplane... I remember, and it's funny because I was speaking with my dad about this last night. My dad is not a big movie person, but he loves Airplane. And in fact, he and my mom went to see it in the in the movie theater, which is something that was a big deal with my parents because my mother was a big movie lover. My dad was not. And my mother could rarely get my dad to go to the movies with her. So the fact that he went to see this movie with her on their little quote-unquote date night, says a lot. And the fact that he said in the first five seconds of the film, he knew he was going to absolutely love it uh, because, as I've mentioned on the show before, my dad is a pilot. <laughs> so a lot of the jokes hit differently for him than it will hit for the rest of the population that watches this movie. But he said he could not stop laughing that whole time he was in the theater. He says it's the only movie that's ever really done that to him you know, all the way through the movie. And in fact, had to watch it several more times since to kind of pick up on some of the jokes he missed because he was laughing so hard. 
It, it, but, you know what? Joke per minute ratio. It's hard to beat. It really is. And, uh, you know, there's there's fascinating little tidbits about it. Um, uh, Jim Abrams, David, and Jerry Zucker were inspired by a movie called Zero Hour <laughs> that they watched. It was one of those old movies that played late night on television. In fact, if you ever get a chance, it's available for free on YouTube. If you ever get a chance and you are a fan of Airplane, watch Zero Hour because there are certain parts of Airplane that are shot for shot yeah, reproductions of Zero Hour. In fact, it worried Paramount Pictures so much <laughs> that they bought the rights to the film just so that nobody could sue them if that movie came out, even though they should have been covered under the parody law, that they were so afraid that they bought this film so nobody could complain that there were some exact shot-for-shot recreations in that uh, in that parody. But, I mean, it still holds up. I still laughed. In fact, um, it, it's, it's an interesting side note, so... And Kirsten, sorry to do this to you right now, but uh, Are you gonna punch today you? is our buddy Vernon's birthday, ah. and there were a couple moments in the film watching it yesterday where I'm like, I started tearing up and I couldn't figure out why. And then after the movie, I started remembering, oh, it's because Vernon and I used to throw airplane lines back and forth. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was, it, it always got me. <laughs> so Vernon's only four years older than I am. But he was always fascinated that I knew some obscure television or movie that he's like, nobody else knows this. How do you know this? I'm like, I grew up with that. Or, you know, he's like, you remember this movie? You like this movie? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It used to, it used to, for as much as he hated a lot of modern films, it was an endless source of joy when you liked something that he remembered fondly from his childhood, so... Well, it, it and, you know, I'll go ahead and tell you, Jeff, there were times when sometimes he would not not airplane necessarily, but <clears throat> he'd make an obscure line reference. You know, he'd oh, blah, blah, you know, blah, blah. Yep. and and I was like, oh. and he would look at me and then he would just, you know, he'd get that face and look back yes. at the TV screen and he'd be like. And Jeff would have known that reference. <laughs> <laughs> he was always so excited when I got the reference or I would I would follow up with the next line that would follow the line that he threw at me and he's like oh my god you know that that's so awesome yeah, yeah. i so. think he even he did you know one of his uh one of his edits and did a trailer for oh. Air, airplane it's magnificent because yeah. he he does an edit where he makes it look like a drama yeah yes and it was really funny he said hey i did this i want you to see this and we're watching it and i was just like I kind of want to watch airplane now and so we watched <laughs> airplane that night but it was it was actually really good because he really did he really did make Airplane look like a drama. Yes. Yeah. He made it look like Zero Hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, well, yet, and there are plenty of YouTube uh, uh, comparison videos uh, between the two of them. Yeah. Um, it's, it's playing at flash. Okay. By the time this drops, it will be not playing. But uh, uh, if you have a movie theater chain that does the flashback cinemas it, it that's their movie for this week so i'll probably go see it on wednesday so because yeah I love, I love that movie came okay that movie came out in 1980 yep airplane and which came out in the summer and then nine to five which came out in december were the two movies that i was just on the freaking floor about like that's that scene in nine to five where Dabney Coleman tries to 
run at him and they got him in the harness thing. I could not stop laughing for a good 15 minutes after that. <laughs> it is pretty damn funny. <laughs> that yeah. was just, and my friend's like, are you okay? And I'm like, the thing with the thing. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, uh, come on, Steve, let's be honest. You, let's be, be what? <sighs> Steve, let's be honest. You have a good belch. You'll be giggling for about 15 minutes afterward. No, yeah. That is true. That is true. I forgot about 9 to 5. It's hilarious. What a way to make a living. But yeah. Air, yeah. Airplane, airplane was the Zucker Brothers' peak. Zucker Abrams, much like 1974 was Mel Brooks. You got the one-two punch of Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein in the same year. Oh, my and, God. And he's just really never been better than that year. I, I I disagree not better, uh, but I definitely think different, but he's still a genius even in all the follow-up movies. Oh, sure. I'm just saying that was his peak. I mean, I, Top Secret I love, uh, you know, so far as Abrams movies. Um, yeah. And, and um, Naked Gun, although I do think Police Squad is funnier. Well, yeah, Police Squad <laughs> is, uh, it's a whole different beast. I mean, yeah, Naked Gun from the files of Police Squad based on the show. Yeah. But a lot of the jokes in Naked Gun are recycled from the TV series. <laughs> yeah, so. they are. And I, I think that particular police-style parody works better in smaller chunks. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed the movie. The movie. Oh, not, oh. I'm not discounting it. Oh, yeah. It was, but certainly by the time you get into the into the Naked Gun sequels, that's when. Well, that's yeah. When everyone d- started diminishing being returns. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, stop na- trying to be funny. Naked Just, Gun, the first one, is the the last one where Leslie Nielsen doesn't really try to go for the hundred percent goofball factor. Right. Right. So that's- you know. One of my pet peeves. So you saw it on the and th- the big screen, yep. Jeff, and you've just felt one off the list. Yep, it's it's another one off the list. Uh, another one is Casablanca, which is my <sighs> one of my favorite films. But I've just I've always missed it somehow when it's done like a flashback cinema um, for one reason or another. That's going to be a Valentine's Day. Yes, it's coming up very soon. Oh. I will definitely be seeing that in the theater. Me too. Uh, assuming something doesn't happen on the day of which happened the last time i was i had tickets i had to go exchange them and get a refund and i was kind of upset but that was a whole another story it's the curse of casablanca yeah 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 i had a friend who uh she didn't like it she's like oh every time i try to watch it on tv i just fall asleep i go because well Hey, you're watching it alone, right? Right. Yeah. And you're watching it on TV where you're completely distracted by other stuff. You got to see it on the big screen. And so yep. the last time it played last year, I was like, all right, when, when do you want to go? Do you want to go Friday or or, or do you want to go Sunday or Wednesday? And she's like, uh, let's try Wednesday. And then, of course, on the day. I forgot I what can't the excuse go. was. Yeah. Yeah. And I was Earth, like, oh. Earthquake. Oh. And I was like, well, I'm going. <laughs> Jeff, what else you do? Um, I also went and saw Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Okay. I got to say, I really enjoyed this film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been getting some critical panning. You know, they're saying it's too silly, too goofy. And I'm like, I don't agree. I mean, it has some silly, goofy moments in it, but that's not the overall theme of the film. Um, it definitely is more of a, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, it's a buddy cop style mm-hmm. movie um between um 
uh, Jason King, Momoa King, and, King Orm and Arthur Curry, and you know, Jason Momoa and Patrick, Patrick Wilson. Wilson. So it's because they're completely different personalities, you know, I don't want to go so far as to say it's fish out of water story because it's not really. The buddy um, cop kind of. But, but, but the buddy team up with Patrick Wilson's character definitely is outside of his comfort zone. So I guess you could technically say it's a, it's a buddy team up combined with a little bit of fish out of water. But um, I, I really enjoyed the film. Um, it's sad that it's the, it's the quote unquote last in the series, but I also don't think in modern cinema, especially in comic book movies, that this is the last you'll see of you know, Momoa as Aquaman because oh, really they well the way they've established this multiverse. I mean, we never thought we'd see Michael Keaton as Batman again. Okay, and we uh, saw Michael Keaton again. Kind of thing. Sure, I, okay. I just mean in the grand scheme of things that could happen again. And you know, hey, they could spin off and have him be. You know, with the multiverse that they've established uh, in the Flash, there's mm. there's always possibilities. I guess the best yeah. way to put it. Well, it's uh, Bob Chipman said. You know, if we think oh, we've yeah, seen I did the see last, if we think we've seen the last of Henry Cavill as Superman, he goes, give it a couple of years, gray hair, black s. They'll be doing Kingdom Come at some point. I think that'd be awesome, <laughs> man. Although I like Tom Welling, uh, but of course he doesn't wear the tights. No, he doesn't want to wear the suit. But uh, I think he would make a wonderful Kingdom Come Superman. No, and Brandon Routh kind of already did. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that was so good. I, I, uh, I so, wish they'd have gotten. I wish they'd have gotten more out of that. But that was like Routh basically kind of getting his closure on the character yeah. too. I uh, watching Aquaman. I I was struck by now. First of all, folks, I'm a big Momo fan, so don't even try to at me. And uh, <laughs> I've enjoyed him doing Aquaman, <clears throat> although I think the the Aquaman was not like comic uh, accurate, and uh, it, it played to a lot of Momo's uh, acting strengths, which is actually he should be Lobo, and yeah. uh, hopefully, hopefully that will happen. Uh, but watching this, uh, Jeff, I actually was at some points, I was like, you know what? If the movies were to do a comic accurate Aquaman, I think Patrick Wilson, Wilson. would have been the man for the job. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because I was looking at him and I'm like, I could totally see him doing, a, you know, an Arthur Curry who's more like the comic book Arthur Curry. So that was actually kind of impressive there. And Chipman actually mentioned, you know, just watching Patrick Wilson be a superhero type was actually just yeah. funny as hell because yeah, you're not used to seeing that at all. Yeah. And not I'm, to mention I really liked the redemption arc for Orm oh, because yeah. you know, here's somebody that's so hard set fast in his ways and eventually starts to realize, you know, maybe I need to relax a little bit, maybe I need to be not so set in my ways and be open to other possibilities, mm -hmm. etc. You know. Did he play it, Night Owl in Watchmen? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, he did. The only issue I had with the movie is a lot of times, again, playing into Momoa's strengths, is they would have something fairly sincere, and then, like, out of nowhere, there would be, like, jokey joke, like, at the very end. Yeah. He's giving his, basically, UN speech, and it's I was like, oh, this is cool, and he's actually handling this speech pretty well, and... 
Oh fuck! And I'm Aquaman. And it's like, <laughs> oh for fuck's sake! That's irritainment. Inter- I, that's that's, that's you know, irritainment. That actually didn't bother me as as much as it bothered you, apparently. But yeah, uh, no, I it mean, just it was. It was like, oh, this is really good. And he's well, it really that was well and, oh, that shit. was his kind of. I guess if you want to say it, it was his. Iron Man moment. He was just oh, throwing it over to Jeff. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, that's the subtle subtext underlining. Uh, yeah, oh, it wasn't. It wasn't subtle. <laughs> it was not subtle. Unfortunately, yeah, it wasn't subtle, and it happened after his fifth or sixth appearance. All right, I, I, yeah, I'm telling you guys. Every time I fucking see him, uh, it's just like oh, they. Uh, Maybe Gunn and uh, Saffron are like have other plans, or maybe they'll come up against. Uh, you know, but they better not get into the we don't want to repeat error with Lobo, because seriously, yeah, seriously, he is Lobo front back up down in and out, and you don't you have to put a costume on when he's Lobo? Yes, <laughs> no, yeah. it, nobody here watched Krypton, right? No, because they introduced Lobo in that show, and and they got a really pretty good actor, and they gave him a good a good uh, character design, and he was pretty much comic faithful. Lobo. I need to watch that just so I can see, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's. <laughs> uh, but even now, uh, Steve, you're saying that actor. Yeah, you're not saying the actor's name. I know because I can't remember. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, Momo. I mean, I mean, seriously, we're talking. I, I, I feel it is goddamn. It would goddamn near be like Tony Stark. You know, like, like. Well, no, no, no. I was gonna say RDJ Tony Stark, but actually, RDJ rewrote Tony Stark. Yeah. Right. Uh, so you know, maybe, maybe more like Christopher Reeve Superman level of this is pitch. Perfect. Yeah, walking right off the comic so, page. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing too is that we, you had had that. Well, actually, I'm intruding on Jeff's uh, weekend geek. Sorry, Jeff. No, no, we'll you're good. I, we can talk later, like about Superman and stuff. And what else did you do, Jeff? Ooh. Uh, that's you know that's that's probably to, all to I, rip jobs. I mean, uh, there's other Targo's things. Job away from him. <laughs> there's other things, but uh, you know. Nothing necessarily extra. Right. Um, I have been watching uh, season two of Reacher and really enjoying mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. We're getting co- towards the end of the season, but uh, there are so many yeah DC former DC project yes. people involved in that show. It's crazy. The, it's the four principles. Yeah, almost entirely. It is really fascinating. <laughs> But uh, yeah, like I remember as soon as I saw Sarinda Swan, I'm like, mm. is this a CWDC verse uh, <laughs> reunion here? Reacher. I mean, yeah. Well, and uh, Sean Sipos, the the blonde, yeah, guy, he, um, he was out uh, Adam yep. Strange on Krypton. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's fascinating. I was like, well, there's two Smallville alum right there, even though technically he never got his spinoff series like you know they right. were going to do for for um uh i'm totally blanking out on his name the johnny wilcox the lead for reacher um oh, oh rodney daniels uh, alan richman richman thank richmond. you not richman richson 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 i yeah, can't sp- i can't speak today it's, well it's but, yeah. an easy one <laughs> steve yeah. what'd you do uh not a whole lot actually and now that i was thinking about it um we did do Deb's D and D. Deb and D. Yep. Yeah, Deb and D. That's <laughs> right. Um, 
although it was a little funky this week only because and i think Kay had a similar issue i didn't sleep well saturday night and so we're playing D, and several times deb had to go wake up oh my god that was so funny <laughs> steve steve wake up Clap, clap, clap. Well, you know what? Wake up, wake it's up. like, <laughs> what? what? What the hell is this? It's like so many times, like, all right, when you want to get together for gaming, guys, uh, three, well, about four o'clock. Why don't we get together around five? This weekend, for some reason, I had two D&D games, uh, Barry's game and Deb's game. And, and they were like, oh, well, what about noon? How about 11 a.m.? And it's like, uh, what? No one D and D's at 11 a.m. Oh my! And so uh, the the new um, the one o'clock D and D was okay, but that was up north at uh, one of the players' houses, 45 minutes away. Yeah. So even that had to be get out of bed at 11:30 and roll oh. yourself into you know get over to Deb and Barry so we could carpool up there at noon. So it's just like ugh, early, and then. And then they're like, oh, you know what? We never settled on Sunday's game. We put out the word, see what Tim and, and Steve say. And they're like, what do you guys think? Noon and Tim and Steve are like, well, actually, we had talked about 11 a.m. And it's like, I, you... <laughs> I think you're getting punked. Oh, Jesus. No, and, not... Well, it was, it, it was sort of like that because I woke up at 1047 and I'm like, oh, God, I got and And my schedule is totally gone night owl i now fall asleep at the first light of dawn which really fucking sucks i hate it todd loves it i hate it i love it so i'm i'm like oh fucking shit and i open up the discord to say i'm gonna be a little <laughs> late and it's and and apparently at eight o'clock deb was like guys we're gonna push it to noon okay <laughs> and it was like, that's oh. what you get when you set up D D at 11 in the morning yeah oh crap i don't even remember what the justification was except that today is a work day there but. was something about tim I oh, thought right, having right. to leave yes. earlier, and we still played to to like six or or I don't know. Yeah, yeah so, so we still and, and actually hours, at yeah. six he was ready to keep going. Yeah, it was you it, it, uh, yeah, nodding I mean, off. Not that, okay, oh. so so why were you falling asleep? Because I got like four hours of sleep. Okay. My thing is is kind of the opposite of Kay's thing. I'll get to. I mean, I'm still a night owl. I'll. I'll you know, hit the sack at like two or maybe three, but then I, I go to sleep. I'm ready to go to bed, but then I wake up at like eight and can't get back to sleep. Ah, so, so I had probably like four hours of sleep. So I was, I was fine for like the first couple of hours, but then, yeah. And especially once we had food, I was just like, mm. yeah, I'll do it. I'm yeah. having a similar problem as Steve, but my problem is because somebody in my neighborhood has goddamn chickens and the fucking rooster <laughs> starts doing its thing. I'm not kidding you. At oh, like I... two or three in the morning, and it doesn't Whoa. just and it doesn't just stop when the sun is fully up. It goes all fucking day. Oh boy! So it will frequently wake me up, and it really is annoying. Now you see, you Jeff, get... you wouldn't have that problem if you had a homeowners association. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, if I might make a suggestion. Sure. Get yourself a white noise machine. Little, little side thing, you plug it in there, it really helps that kind of stuff. 
Now, white noise, does that mean like it's, it's just somebody talking like this? Yeah, just yeah pretty being much. Irritating it's irritating for g- hours yeah, and it's, hours it's, and can hours. Can I speak to the manager? Oh, my goodness. I just, <laughs> what do you think you're doing driving like that? What's the matter with you? Yeah, because that drowns out all the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just a standalone machine. costs 20 yeah. bucks. has different sounds, but it's just a constant thing. Keep it by your bed. You don't hear it after a few seconds and drowns all that shit out. Yeah. I, just, I, mean, so, I mean, it was a fun game. I, I you know, I, I, I did have one moment of, of oh, you know, because I'm trying to figure out what my character can do, and again, I'm not really a D and D guy, and so they were like, "Is that something you should that you should have done like right when you first created your character?" And I was like, "Probably." And they're like, "I don't know what you're referring to, though." The D and D game. Yeah, yeah, but what specifically with your character? <laughs> oh, I have. Uh, <laughs> Pick one. <laughs> I tell us what your character is a little he, bit, he, so we know what you're talking an about. Artificer, which <laughs> right. is one of the most uh, rules complicated uh, characters. Yeah, and so he's yeah. uh, he's having to wade through tons of um, of rules minutia. You know that someone playing, say, I don't know, a fighter wouldn't have to worry about. Yeah, yeah. So this was specifically about infusions and how those work. And there, okay. you see, Todd, that answers your question, that doesn't d- it? Does help a lot more. <laughs> yeah, and so and and there and there was all. Well, you never played this before, and I was like, I said, I've made no secret of the fact that I do not know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and apparently infusions are a lot like the wizard thing where you know X amount of spells, but you can only cast Y amount of spells per day. Okay. And so and so we had to hash that out, and that yeah. took about a half hour of going through various forms of D and D Beyond, because you know technology and having your rules on a on a uh, on the internet is so much easier than having a book where you flip a couple pages. <laughs> I like indexes. Indexes yeah. are great. Uh huh. Yeah. And uh, so and I'm sure not knowing a, an element of your character went over really well with Deb when she's trying to run a sure. game. Sure. Oh, so. <laughs> no, no, it, 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 it was funny. She was patient about it, but it was also sort of like, what are you doing? Yeah. So and, anyway. and Barry was just like, all right, hold on. Let's just look this. Yeah, so he, was, he basically <laughs> turned into me for most of the day. Yeah, I actually ripped on Tim, on Leon Mitt for a while, because uh, when we came in, uh, we had leveled up. And so Barry, Steve, and I are like, oh, we're fifth level? Okay, we got to, you know, move our character. And Tim was like, I already leveled up. I'm the, I'm the ideal student. I, uh, I've already done my homework. And so for the rest of the night, I just kept give, leveling him with uh, ideal student pot shots. <laughs> Every time he was off or wrong on something, I just kabang. I was going to offer Steve 20 bucks to... Every time he has to make a decision, make him open up the rule book and start looking up an answer. <laughs> but it sounds like he's doing that already. So yeah, really, yeah, yeah. You yeah. do that, dude. You're you're going to be out uh, two or three hundred bucks. <laughs> oh, not for every one. I, it's yeah. just oh, oh, just one just, time. It's a one time. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a wow. I'm, That's I'm diminishing spots. returns for Steve. Don't take that deal, Steve. No. <laughs> then, there was also another cool moment where I didn't know you were his manager. <laughs> where we're uh, we're had we're eating and uh, they had bought some pizzas for us so of no. course Todd uh, Todd yes so of course Barry oh. could not have some of the pizza <laughs> so he broke out the sushi cheese. cheese right yeah he broke out his sushi and he's sitting there and he's <laughs> so very, on brand though. very carefully putting on his sauce and then very, very t- 
tapping the the wasabi on it and then it finally he's all he's got his little wooden you know thing that the sushi eaters have and he's just like ready to start and he's like where the fuck what uh, Leon, Leon, guys, watch your fucking wallet around Tim, because that bastard is slicker than snot on a doorknob. Last time he took his dice. Yes. Yeah. Well, he took his chopsticks, and Barry had no fucking, and these are chops, and it's funny, because Tim is laughing, and he lifts up his book and pulls the chopsticks out, and it's like, I didn't fucking see him when he took those. No, and these are and these are you know your classic kind of blue chrome uh, chopsticks. Yeah, I'm, nice I'm, and long. I expect just, no less from Barry. Yeah, yeah, and it was just like, how the f- when did he fucking do that? It's kind of <laughs> spooky. It's like, why is he doing what he's doing? He should, you know, be in some international capital, just you know, picking pockets and <laughs> and fleecing people because it's you know mad skills. Yeah, yeah, it was good. And, and a, a lot less destructive than mine would have been, which just been slapping my hand down on top of the sushi as hard as I could after all the careful preparation. Yeah. Pouring some, uh, you know, mustard soda over it just for extra flavor. Right? Um, the one thing. Oh, poor Deb. Oh, poor Deb. OK. Yeah. I, she. She's she, yeah, yeah, she's with Barry. I get it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Besides that. Oh, okay. <laughs> she's just just been rolling for shit lately. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Fun. She had she had this encounter. What was it? A mage and an elemental. Yes. And had apparently thought that that, based on previous encounters, that that was going to go forever. Nope. Thanks to my brand new infusion skills. <laughs> We took care of those idiots like yeah. almost oh. immediately, and she's like, "Okay, yeah, yeah." Um, no, it, <laughs> it was actually hilarious because uh, Tim actually did a dis- dispel magic on the air elemental. He had to roll for it. He destructively rolled high, and so the elemental just vanished. And she went. Mm. I mean, she spent a couple minutes, you know, looking at this page, looking at that page, and then she went, "Okay." And it, all right, it's done now. And Tim's like, "Oh, okay, I pissed her off now." Yeah, yeah. Because because first it was like it was like, "Okay, um, he vanishes." Wait a minute. No, I don't think he vanishes. And then, sure enough, no, he didn't. He just became rogue. And then the next thing is, oh, that, then, that, he, right. then he dispels. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like two broke rolls. the control, and then and yeah, and it was over real quick and. Boy, oh boy, and, and at one point she was, she's, he was like, "Oh, you're gonna lean on us harder now." And she goes, "No, no, no, no. I was holding back. I, 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 just don't have to hold back now, okay?" Yeah, yeah, All right. And then, and then, as soon as Grandpa Big started fading out there, she was like, "Okay, is this, uh, is this a good time to cut?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just snoring in the corner. Oh my god, he's just, yeah, he's. Just, and it was really funny too, folks. If you've ever seen Steve not off, it was perfect. It was just. He just had uh, sunk down on his chest, and and then when and, and she did, she Deb fucking went Steve, and she clapped her hands, and Steve 
kind of like popped his head up and whenever he does that nod off thing when he wakes up he he does a little <laughs> like a little <laughs> chuckle to, just to make sure that you know oh i was never asleep that was yeah. funny yeah yeah i heard you <laughs> I heard <that>. <laughs> <laughs> and he did that <laughs> and she's like are you okay steve i'm uh, uh, yeah. yeah i was i was very tired myself i didn't do any nodding off and you know like if we start combat it can wake me up but, uh, but we I, were mostly just getting oh. info and yeah, we for... lots of uh, logistics and exposition here. Yeah, which is it, uh, still kind of fun because this once again uh, reminder: Deb's campaign is the post-apocalyptic uh, uh, Faerun. So it's forgotten realms after uh, a series of catastrophes. So it's totally nuclear different. War. Things are crazy. Waterdeep is full of undead. Yeah, it, you know, Waterdeep is like Escape from New York. You know, the uh, fantasy version. I mean, it's just, it's nice and crazy, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm liking that a lot because it's like that was a, that's a nice change up from uh, the vanilla fantasy that uh, is, you know, Faerun. Well, I've been pl- replaying Hades. Uh, I brought this game to the show years back, and I'm playing it again because. <laughs> God, it's a great game. Hades is a rogue-like, one of those games where you play it and you only get so far until you die and then restart again, but changes happen over time, increasing the power of your character where you can get further and further as you go. Uh, Hades uh, is a little more different than a lot of roguelikes because it actually has a really good story. You are Zagreus, son of Hades himself, and you pretty much said, fuck this, I'm out of the underworld. I'm going to escape. And dad doesn't want you to go. So he's kept all the uh, the dead and all of his uh, friends and neighbors to keep you from doing that. But you have the help of Olympus itself. So you get boons from the various gods to help you get out of Olympus. So every screen is an action fight, uh, very much in the vein of uh, action Diablo, so to speak, but without the loot. Where once you clear the screen, you then have a choice of rooms to get various currencies that will increase your powers here or there, or boons from the gods that will change how your weapon works uh, going forward. You choose, it starts with three weapons, unlocks eventually six. You choose your first weapon, whether it's a spear or it's a gauntlet of power or a bow and arrow. And depending if you uh, get a boon, say, from uh, Zeus, it's obviously going to be lightning-based. Or if you get something from Ares, it's what's called doom-based, where basically it gets uh, an extra amount of damage after time. So after three seconds, they get hit for like another 40 points of damage. Or you get uh, a... uh, If you get Artemis, you're going to have uh, arrows that are... Uh, give an extra chance for critical hits. Every god has their own specialty and a multiple set of things that can happen, including when you get certain gods give you one boon, another one gets you another one, they can combine into a super boon later on. And of course, the object is to get out of Hades, which has various boss fights along the way. And then once you beat the game, it's not over. The story continues so interestingly enough that you want to keep going even though you've played the game and it's full because something new happens every time you escape and there's a fantastic ending when you do escape that i really really like uh 
so I'm playing it again. Uh, Hades 2 it is in development. I think uh, that news is what kind of spurred me to go, yeah, I'm going to go back and play it again. Fantastic time sync, though. It, uh, roguelikes are very well known for one more turn-itis. The problem is one more turn takes a half hour every time. <laughs> but it's so engrossing. The play is fast and frantic and fun. There's so much variation that happens to the way that you fight as you progress through the game itself. Every single play that it feels fresh every time. And the characters that you interact with uh, at in your father's house. Every, when you die, you go back to the father's house and you then speak to uh, various heroes and such that help you along the way or just continue the story. Hades is a fantastic game. If you haven't played it and you do like roguelites, do it. It's so good. What uh, what triggers the musical numbers? And did they get Patrick Page and the original cast back to do them? Uh, well, you, they didn't have that kind of budget, so they had to do what they used to do with the uh, James Bond theme uh, soundtrack things from like the 80s and 90s where they just hired a new band to do it. Oh, God. Right? It. So it kind of <laughs> sounded like the theme, but it wasn't quite the right on the theme. So it's kind of along those kind of lines. All right. Yeah. Uh, Kay, what'd you do? Uh, well, I also uh, played the D&D game with uh, Steve. I played the day before Barry's green game up north. <clears throat> that's, a, that's a fun game. Barry runs a good game. So that's, it's always fun and interesting. Um, so you're saying Deb doesn't run a good game? Well, um, <laughs> no. It's what I'm trying to say, actually, is he actually loves Vanilla Faerun. So it's like, regardless of the setting, it's still a, it's still a pretty good game. Uh, and it because it's just like oh, forgotten realms. Can you be more basic? Oh my god, Barry is you know, basic. He, he's a basic bitch. Uh, so you know, <laughs> Barry tell me is about a basic it. bitch. Yeah. So, um, but have you seen his haircut? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, but it's still it's a it's a good game and and it's enjoyable. What actually was really neat was this was. Uh, one of our friends from uh, Star Trek The Experience, have a drink, Tempe, um, and mm -hmm. her daughter, uh, who's uh, a, a, a grown, a grown yeah. ass woman. Yeah. I'm, I'm you know, it, and I point that out because she for, has yeah. her home. For, well, for, for context, when Kirsten and I were working at The Experience, <laughs> Tempe's yes. daughter, Ariel, was not even a teenager yet. Yeah, yeah. She was, a, she's in her 30s now. Yeah. She, she was a little <laughs> yeah. girl going through The Experience visiting mommy. Yep. Uh, and yeah, and I put that up because she has this house with her boyfriend. Uh, so, um, and it's a nice place, but it, I, I really enjoyed it because she has two very cute cats and this boisterous, puppyish, friendly German shepherd who's an absolute delight to play with. In fact, more than once, she was like, if he's annoying you, let me know. And it's like, no, we're having fun because. We would, uh, once the dog warmed up to us, uh, came to us more to play, and um, I had a St. Bernard as a kid growing up, so I'm used to being being able to be a little rough with dogs in play. So not Shep from Airplane, was just all over you. Just, yeah, no. Okay, in a fun so, way. So you're saying yeah. he was irritating? Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, because what was fun with uh, Solo, and by the way, the cat's names, Willa and Mina, Okay. From Wilhelmina Murray from Dracula. And the, the dog's name was Solo. But Solo, one of the games I'll play with two dogs that I've discovered they love, if they're gentle and they like playing, is 
uh, you hook their mouth, where you get your two fingers in their mouth that is semi-closed, locked behind their incisors. <laughs> and they love to play the tug of war. And so we were doing that, and he was just happy as hell that there was some human who loved to actually play this game. And eventually it elevated to me just grabbing his lower jaw. And and, and he was just... Would you play uh, that with me, too? Uh, rah, 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 rah. Yeah, you're... Uh, maybe <laughs> you if, break uh, the skin. Maybe, yeah, really. He, 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 this is a German shepherd, guys. Never broke the skin. Never not... Nary a bit of blood. It was remarkably gentle, and just just a. We played chase around the kitchen island because uh, he did the. He's he's uh, like some dogs that uh, picks up the toy and wants you to chase them as opposed to brings it to you. So you know, and that was a that was a real delight in and around playing Barry's game which was fun, and discussing strawberry vanilla. No, strawberry cream. Strawberry cream Dr. Pepper Yes, is what... Um, that and everyone being shocked to find out it's 150 calories a can. It's like, <laughs> what the hell do you think it is, guys? It's I got the zero version of it. It's pretty good. That, that stuff is you know pure uh, corn syrup. Of course it's going to be massive calories per can. So, but yeah. So um, we're playing that, and, and it's really funny because occasionally... There are times when I'm sort of like, mm, did well. What about the one wizard we went into and got you know got the information? Uh, that was the other game, Kirsten. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> All right. And yeah, I gotta, I got. So now I, I can't. I have to name the campaigns after my character because I'll literally sit there. This is the post-apocalyptic Faerun, which has. Whose character do I have in this one? So I actually, it's now, it's now the Crevo game, who is my barbarian kobold, and Shadowstar, who is my uh, fighter hexblade elf. Those are the campaigns because I can't remember them any other way. So, <laughs> but uh, so that's been fun, and um, uh, Steve and I have been cranking down a lot of. We've uh, we, I have Big Bang Theory up to tenth season. And Steve and I, I actually love watching like little gag reels and stuff. So I played a lot of those. Then we started playing little scenes and bits of scenes from the series. And finally, it was like, you know, I I haven't seen uh, season 11 or 12 because I don't have them on DVD. And Steve's like, I don't even know where I left off. So I went and ordered the Blu-rays oh. and got them. And so we binged out seasons 11 and 12 in the last couple weeks and had a ball doing it um there's something about the energy of a live studio uh <laughs> sitcom that i really do enjoy and it's really funny because i know that some people especially younger people are so annoyed by laugh tracks they actually can't stand uh live studio sitcoms yeah, but, to, to the point where they'll they'll say, oh, I just can't get past the laugh track. And it's like, it's not usually a laugh track. It's yeah. a live audience. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, sometimes they pull the laughs from the bit when it was bigger on the first take than on the third take, which is the take that they're using. And sometimes you can sense that. So, so there was, you know, there was a lot of, there's a lot of hate for it. And, you know, I can sort of understand it because it's a fading... It's a faded art form. Yeah, I, I, they were one of the last 
yeah. sitcoms to use uh, live studio yeah, audience Frasier, at that particular Frasier time. Yeah, they, they is, went back to it. It's sort of like one of the <clears throat> only ones that's out there now that's doing it. Because so much of the, that now is that... that um, Single camera. Yeah, no audience. Uh, right. The cringe comedy, which can work, but at the same time, you know... Um, it, it, sometimes it's weird watching those and people are sitting there <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is, this is kind of stupid too. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so, and actually it was funny watching that. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of sad. I never got to work on a situation comedy um, because I do like the energy there. So, and I also just like um, Big Bang Theory. There's so many times there are things, you know, they start arguing about, yeah, something I, I, in the well, comics, and I just look at Steve, and it's like we've had this discussion. Yes. on Geek Shock. Yeah, the one, the one that sort of stands out for me of, of this batch was, why do they still use the bat signal? Don't they just text him? <laughs> yeah, and, then, and they go, no, he gets the text, but they use the bat signal as a warning to the underworld that he's coming. Yeah, you know? and it's like I don't, I've never seen him get a text. Well, it's in my head cannon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Jesus Christ, we've had this discussion. Yeah, there's been multiple times throughout the course of that series that I'm like, who picked this out of my brain? Yeah, yeah you know yeah. who plucked oh, yeah. who plucked this out of my own personal life sitcom? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, how did they know about this? Yeah, yeah. you know, it, it, there's there's tremendous things to like about that show. I mean, yeah. I love the character growth throughout the entirety mm -hmm. of the series. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that's one of the things uh, that I most enjoy about it because every. One of the things I did and with these Blu-rays is I introduced uh, Steve to the Chuck Lorre vanity cards. Oh, oh. No, I already knew about the vanity oh, okay. cards because I because I I was late to the game with Big Bang Theory. So back when Netflix was mostly you know get get a disc in the mail, I was like people said you're not watching Big Bang Theory. You should be watching Big Bang Theory. I was like all right because when it first was announced, I was like I think I would probably like this better when it was called the uh, Star Spangled Girl. Anyway, because um, that's just kind of what it looked like in the commercials. I was like, two guys and there's a pretty girl across the hall. This is Star Spangled Girl, but, but just with geeks. And so I had no interest. And and then somebody said, no, you got to watch it. It's really good. And it is. It's really good. And yeah, it's, it's yeah. you know. But because, we I mean, it, it would have been too easy through the series to have, say, Penny be the perpetually unobtainable mm. object right. of desire as opposed to her character grew leonard's character grew they Spoiler grew to, warning they grew together mm -hmm. you know well, i and mean this is i was talking to Kay earlier i said i stopped watching three's company at about season three mm -hmm. when uh when they had a plot that revolved around janet told her parents that jack was her fiance and so he needed to sleep in her bedroom and it was still here we are three years into this yeah. arrangement and it's still jack goes, really i get to be in your bed i go well that's episode one that yeah. is fucking episode one <laughs> And and it didn't help that I was I, I myself was in a threes company situation at the time, so it's like it's like it's titillating for like ten minutes, and then you just become friends with your roommates, and yeah, yeah. Then ugh. so anyway, uh, we're watching the title cards, and uh, <laughs> there was one 
title card that was actually rather touching because uh, Lori was going on about some things. And then he said, and then along came Amy and Bernadette, Amy Farafala, Maya Mbalik's character, and uh, Bernadette Rostenkowski, um, uh, Melissa Rauch's character. And it was like, along came Amy and Bernadette and answered prayers we did not even know we had. And those characters were the basis for the advancements for Wallowitz and uh, Sheldon, which actually kind of contributed to everybody's arc over the course of the 12 years and 279 episodes that they filmed, which was actually really kind of fun mm-hmm. to watch and to to uh, to see. So uh, uh, also, if you like to read the Vanity Cards, just so you know, uh, if you do it for the first time, Chuck Lorre took the Trump years kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Woo! Yeah. He, he took he, advantage of the fact that those fuckers flew past and nobody was probably reading them at the time. <laughs> he, he was shameless. I'll just put it yeah. that way. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Woo! yeah. So when I got the DVDs, I would, I was like, oh, what's this? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's also fun to like, you know, one time, one time just miss stopping it and steve just suddenly is like hey hang on what are you doing go back <laughs> then you start pausing in the wrong spot and he's like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know let's get into some news let's do some news you don't give a shit about uh, oh, 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 boo. oh it's a sweet spot <laughs> man it's Worse when there's fewer people here. Yeah. yeah. At this point, I rely on the rest of you to scream to cover that. <laughs> well, that's reason enough to not scream. <laughs> <laughs> you don't give a shit about Kristen. You uh, sent me this one. I oh appreciate God. you sending me this one. It's oh. from uh, SmithsonianMagazine.com. Uh, the president of the Navajo Nation, that's a Boo Nigren, has called for the delay of today's moon mission, which didn't happen, uh, that was carrying human remains, among other payloads, to the lunar surface. Uh, the private companies United Launch Alliance and Astrobotic are launched, launched the first commercial mission to the moon's surface. Among scientific instruments from NASA, the flight also includes human remains, and the DNA immemorial payloads from the companies Celestis and Elysium Space. (laughs) DNA payloads. Yeah. I got a DNA payload for you, baby. I I just did a DNA payload. No, no, no. No, no, no. Uh, Quote, it is crucial to emphasize that the moon holds a sacred position in many indigenous cultures, including ours, Nigran wrote in a December 21st letter to NASA and the U.S. Department of Transportation, continuing, quote, we view it as a part of our spiritual heritage, an object of reverence and respect. The act of depositing human remains and other materials, which could be perceived as discards in any other location on the moon, is tantamount to desecration of this sacred space, unquote. Uh, the launch was part of NASA's commercial lunar play world, play, uh, payload service initiative. For this initiative, NASA contracts with commercial partner that, quote, provides the launch and lander per NASA. The mission's scientific goals include studying the moon's atmosphere, radiation, and magnetic fields, as well as examining the thermal properties and hydrogen abundance of its soil. It carries a number of payloads from NASA at like various spectrometers, a laser reflector array, navigation Doppler, 
Elysium Space and Celestius, meanwhile, are private companies that launch portions of human remains to space as symbolic memorials for loved ones. Uh, Celestius has 69 participants in launching an astrobotics mission, including the deceased Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry and science fiction author Arthur C. Clarke. In 1998... Uh, Then-Navajo Nation President Albert Hale criticized NASA for sending the ashes of scientist Eugene Shoemaker to the moon, according to Arizona Public Radio. Afterwards, quote, NASA issued a formal apology and promised consultation with tribes before authorizing any further missions carrying human remains to the moon, Nygren writes in his letter. Continuing, quote, we, be- we believe that both NASA and U.S. DOT should have engaged with consultation with us before agreeing to contract with a company that transports human remains to the moon or authorizing a launch carrying such payloads. Uh, Celestis, the company, has says in a statement, quote, we respect all cultures right to engage in religious practices, but no single culture or religion should exercise a veto on space missions based on religious tenets, unquote. It did go off today. Uh, however, it ran into some complications. Oh. Uh, so uh, it may, they're having to make some adjustments because it's possible it might not make it to the moon. But uh, a massive fuel dump apparently happened with it. Oh, so uh, I, I think it's a Navajo curse. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Uh, wow. So what you're saying is it's a cemetery <laughs> in space. But in space. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I kind of have mixed feelings because, on the one hand, I can see the respect angle, but the uh, laying claim to the moon like that—that's a pretty strong. And mm-hmm. there, and also there are already a shit ton of discards on the moon. Yeah, rovers, uh, lander, you know, oh, the, um, bottom half, yeah, bottom stuff half. like that. Well, it, uh, the entirety of every lunar lander that ever landed on the moon is there mm-hmm. both the the ascent stage and the descent oh, stage right, because after oh, after they docked they would basically it, it, smash it into the moon so that it wouldn't be floating around floating around yeah so for the next mission so part of that is is right there and the the fact that it's it it's the moon uh, yeah. We actually made a, a big deal out of not claiming the moon for the United States when we yeah. went there so. I on one hand I'm for respect, but on the other, that eh, that claim just kind of bothers me. And also, it's like I don't know. Most of the time, when it comes to like say scattering ashes or something, uh, most of the time, if there's objections, it's it's like a more of a health issue than it is a this is not appropriate, you know. And it was like putting a portion of someone's remains. On the moon, I, 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 it's kind of weird to me to view that as a, as a desecration. Yeah, because almost to me, it's the opposite. It's more of a yeah. hallowing. Exactly. That's, yeah. It seems a little backwards to me. <laughs> Not yeah. backwards. Yeah, my explanation is a little more simple. It's uh, your religion can't claim other celestial bodies just because you worshipped the sun at some point in your religion doesn't mean the sun's yours. To yeah. do with as you please, or to keep or, others or, to do with as they please. Yeah, uh, it works for the, the moon, works for Saturn. I mean, the Greeks own all the planets as far as their names go. Romans. But. Well, well, they changed it. <laughs> it was so right the there's desecration, first, but it's already, it's already happened with the name change. Uh, so, yeah, I I understand that your the people of your religion 
worship the moon for whatever reason to a degree. However, that doesn't give you claim, period. We've got battlefields that are kind of reviewed uh, with a bit of reverence, you know, that yeah. have remains in them. And part of that reverence actually comes from the fact that those remains are there, right? Very beach landings at Normandy. Arlington National Cemetery is, uh, you know, the whole Gettysburg part of the, it, it's not, Gettysburg wasn't fought there, but that has all become a kind of hallowed ground and soldiers remains in, in battlefields uh, are, are regarded like that. So to me, that, that angle is just, it's very hard for me to, uh, to, to key into, you know, and, and now, especially now that I'm like, wait, you can get your remains put on the moon. <laughs> uh, you know, can sure. I sign up for that? Sure. But if the, and the other thing is it snowballs to everything else, right? Yeah. If you allow one religion to claim the moon, any Tom, Dick and Harry religion that comes in the near future or the distant past that has similar other claims, is it now war for the moon between your two religions right. or even more so what's to keep a new Jedi religion to come forth and say, uh, now the moon is where we ship all of our bodies because right. that's our religion. Right. That's our burial place. Yeah. So which, you know, I'm I'm kind of liking now. <laughs> let's, let's establish that. That's no moon. It's a cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually that's funny. But yeah, you know, have the geek shock, uh, flying spaghetti monster religion, and it's like, you know, you better start saving your money now because if your remains are not on the moon when you're gone, yeah, you are. And you not... really call yourself a monkey? Yeah, yeah, yeah really. That's... What's that all about? It's really. There's no give a shit about. Director Christopher Landon is no longer directing Scream Seven. The filmmaker announced that he has exited the franchise, which isn't a surprise after all the drama that's unfolded over the past couple of months. If you're not familiar, uh, Melissa Barrera was fired by Spyglass over a comment she made on social media about the Israel-Hamas conflict. And Jenna Ortega also ended up bowing out due to scheduling conflicts with Wednesday Season 2. If you're not familiar, those are the two main characters of Scream in the last few iterations. Uh, now Landon is gone, and... This is what he shared in a statement, quote, I guess now's a good time as any to announce I formally exited Scream 7 weeks ago. Uh, this will disappoint, disappoint some of and light others. It was a dream job that turned into a nightmare. And my heart did break for everyone involved. Everyone. But it's time to move on. Uh, Landon directed Happy Death Day and Freaky. Uh, if the Scream franchise continues at all, it's pretty much going to have to cons continue from scratch. Yeah. I really, really liked both Freaky and Happy Death Day. Those are two really amazing films. And you know what? And so underrated. I, 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 I'm always sad. I think more people have seen Happy Death Day than Freaky. But if you haven't seen either of them, do yourself a favor and check them out. They are fantastic films. If you like that genre at all, it's it's a flat-out horror film but it also has some cheeky nods to inspirations for the both of them. So my wife and I, in the last couple of months, uh, rewatched, I think it was in October. We rewatched all the screams. 
Okay. All right. Uh, well, rewatch is a weird word because <laughs> I'd only seen the first three. I think yeah. she'd only seen the first one. I haven't seen past three myself. So, so I was like, you know what? Let's see. Let's. I mean, we did all of Saw. Okay. So Scream's going to be a, a, a piece of cake. Probably sure. Lot, probably lots better. And you know what? It was. It really? was a lot better. Uh, the ones in the mills kind of floundered a bit. Four. And it's the last Wes Craven one. And mm, it's yeah. Uh, but uh, five and six were actually pretty good. Oh yeah, uh, it's it was a a reboot of sorts, right? It still continued on the story, but here's a whole bunch of new characters, right? And a few returning characters, and it's more of a copycat's murder kind of thing. But clever. And it's the same thing as which one of these people is the killer? Can you figure it out? Because that's the heart of all the scream, right? Yeah. Here's your cast of characters. It's a mystery. One or more of these is a killer. Yeah. It's it's not somebody unknown from right field. Lots of red herrings, lots of trying to lead you in this direction. And so you start playing with it going, okay, they're pushing real hard on this one. So it's probably not this one. And then they realize they're doing it. And so it ends up being that one. So it's, you know, they really know how to play with you at that point. It's it knows what it is. It's happy with what it is. And performances were fun. Um, I'm a little disappointed to see this go this way, but I can't say I'm surprised either. And did it need to go to seven? No, didn't really. Five and six are good and they stand on their own. They it wasn't like to be continued. Uh, so it's seven's not necessary. Do I think they'll make another scream? Yeah. Do I think they'll start oh, yeah. a scratch? Yes, maybe. I mean, but, but they can do that. The, it's it's well, a formula, not a story. Well, uh, Ortega and what's her name uh, did not start right the franchise. Right, they took it over. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, I still remember that first one. I had mm. no fucking clue. Yeah, and just the way it started, and I'm like Drew Barrymore. Holy fuck! Yeah. <laughs> and and then as it that started progressing, I'm like, move. what the. What the hell is this? And you know, and then and then of course you lean into it, and it's like, oh, this is a friggin' amazing. That movie, was but. so brilliant to dispatch her within the first oh, five minutes of the God. film. Oh my God, you just when had... she's she's in all the highlight material yeah, and everything up yeah, to that point, and then it's yeah. just like, holy shit, you don't know who's gonna ha what's gonna happen to who in this film. Rare moment when marketing had figured it out. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, and the fact that they really kept it a secret who the actual killer slash killers were till the very end because a lot of a lot of times i find with movies i don't necessarily call it lazy writing but they give too many hints for at least in an analytical mind like myself where i'm just like constantly like like who it is and then you typically figure it out you know say halfway three quarters of the way through the film that was one of the few that i had no fucking clue until after it happened and i was wow. just like i was like oh, okay because you know there's a lot of misdirect with it being the boyfriend uh, are we recording this because you know yeah, right? folks this is a rare moment yeah, yeah. uh just you need to understand jeff not figuring it out whoa <laughs> yeah <laughs> so but yeah i mean they definitely made it seem like it was the boyfriend all the way through. And then they had the couple moments where he's around to protect her and you're like, yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's not him. And then to have that twist be that it is him and the buddy and spoiler alert. Yeah. For a 30 year old film almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. News don't give a shit about. Okay. Uh, a lot of this is from a press release, so it's, it's got press language to it, but, 
I'll just go into it. Futureverse, a cutting-edge AI metaverse technology and content company, has revealed its latest venture, Readyverse Studios. The studio is co-founded by Shara Sendoff and Aaron McDonald, along with author Ernest Klein and entertainment industry veteran Dan Farah. This venture is being built to reshape the metaverse through a partnership with Warner Brothers Discovery and will make Ready Player One fans' dreams a reality. Readyverse Studios is creating an immersive destination for fans to delve deep into their favorite stories and intellectual properties in the metaverse, aims to leverage Web3 technologies, metaverse games, augmented reality, virtual reality, and more. At its core, the venture will launch the Readyverse, a dynamic, interactive platform featuring interconnected digital experiences with Ready Player One as its inaugural centerpiece. The Readyverse says it has committed to the principles of open metaverse, emphasizing provable digital ownership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Community-owned infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Decentralization. Oh, I smell your blockchain. Security and in interoperability. That word fucking sucks. Oh. Senderoff and McDonald said in a statement with... <clears throat> Ernie, Dan, and our partnership with Warner Brothers Discovery, we have the unique opportunity to help bring the metaverse to life, beginning with the IP that first showcased its potential. This is just the beginning of our collaboration with both Hollywood and global brands as we set up to develop a path for beloved commercial IP to shape the future of online entertainment, gaming, and social experiences. Unquote. I guess it was a press release. <laughs> <laughs> that was me editing the fuck out of that press release, too. <laughs> you have no idea how oh much I excised God. to leave that behind. Some of those press releases these days, they go on forever. So it's real nebulous, right? It's a bunch of yeah. buzzwords. Yes. But at the core of it, it seems to be saying, hey, did you like Ready Player One? We're making that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay, but also it sounds like it's going to be made out of a bunch of NFT puzzle pieces uh-huh. put together, which I no, 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 no. Did did you not get the update? Oh no, no, no. What's the update? Uh, they spent about ninety million dollars on it, and then Zaslav decided to write it off. Oh, okay. That's a, <laughs> yeah. That's that's, that's their fault. That's for fault for war, partnering with Warner Brothers Discovery. As soon as you said Warner Brothers Discovery, I'm like, this is never going to happen. They're going to spend a bunch of money on it. They're gonna never release the product, and Zaslav's gonna. SNL needs to do a skit where people come in and do pitches for a movie or a project or something, and they're like, "Okay, thank you," and the person leaves, and they're like, uh, "I don't know what kind of write-off could we get for that one?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only oh boy, Whew. the only thing that this like, if you read between the entertainment news of like the last couple of weeks. This might be why there's allegedly discussions between Warner Brothers and Paramount to combine things. They'll have all this IP to. Well, this seems like a third party. This is a whole different company that's license that's joining license with it. So I don't see how that would equate with Warner Brothers and Paramount coming together. 
Warner Brothers and Paramount coming together, if Warner Brothers is a partner in this, and if that becomes the entertainment entity formerly known as Warner Brothers Discovery, known as uh, Readyverse, Warner Mount, Warner Mount, <laughs> Warner Mount, uh, Power Brothers, yeah, Power Brothers, um, then that, I mean, then that would make sense. God, I just hope they don't merge. Hey, Ready Player One, where I can score with Wonder Woman, I'm in. <laughs> Oh, I'll put on that haptic feedback suit, and there'll be tons of feedback, let me tell you. Well, apparently there's a number of investment groups that have stock in both Paramount and in Warners that are actively trying to prevent any potential merger. So we'll see what happens, because both of, both of these groups are basically saying... If there's a merger, it's not going to increase our stock value. It's going to depreciate it right. tremendously. What? I know, right? Not to mention, there's not a lot of people that have faith in Zaslav as far as running no. a studio. Because <laughs> yeah. he's already... I mean, some of these that have done cost-benefit analysis of like his cancellations for the tax write-offs, they're like, this had the potential to at least make back what it cost, yeah. and it would have been in excess of the tax write-off. So... Well, and it's like, wait a minute. And the thing had failed. Yeah. That's when you do your tax right. Yeah. They could have also done that. So <laughs> it, they could have released it had it been a failure and then also gotten a tax write off on it and still made money yeah. off of it or at least reduced the uh, the debt load that Warner Brothers Discovery is carrying. The yeah. only people, only people that Zavlov has to make happy are shareholders. Nothing and even more, the shareholders are left. apparently not very happy with him right now no. because his compensation package is so in excess of what they thought that he were, they were signing up for when they did the merger. Like, because Zaslav is making a huge amount of money. And then, of course, a lot of things he said publicly has ruined, been really putting a negative light on Warners. Mm -hmm. So especially during the strikes, there a lot of these stockholders are like worried that it's going to drive their stock values down even I, further. It would not surprise me that all of this behind-the-scenes Zaslav shenanigans being in the news, being in everyone's face, is kind of what's led to there being no uh, profitable Warner Brothers comic book movie in the last year. Yeah, possibly. I know Maybe there's a number a of directors that are like, they don't want to work with a, Warners a factor, because... Not necessarily the factor, but yeah. There's a number of you know, big name directors that have said they don't want to work with Warner yeah. Brothers because oh, they don't. Chris Nolan being yeah. numero uno. Yeah, yeah, Nolan was the big one, but there's others that come out since. But they don't, they don't want to work with Warners because they don't want them don't to want have to for final three say. Years yeah, on a project and then get, and then have some idiot go, hey, we'll get a good tax write off on this and never release it. Yep. And, oh boy, and so far as this thing goes, yeah, it's just all. It's all it's pops and buzzes. That's all I hear. <laughs> well, you know what? I've been putting the news together for the show for, what, 15 years now? Is that where we're at? Yes, at least. Uh, over time, it has become more and more like this. Yeah. As far as just the way press releases and, and the news are, are put together, whenever I'm putting together the show, I am always weeding out. It's always an announcement of a show, and then all these quotes of various producers or heads of companies talking about it but the quote is exactly the same yeah. every single time mm -hmm. it is always 
Warner Brothers is proud to have joined partnership with X and Y and Z. We look forward to all the creative advances that every single one. Yeah. Yeah. And the uh, producer, we're so happy to be a part of Warner Brothers and we're the uh, the creative freedom they're allowing for. And Mm -hmm. And it's like eight sentences of that. And it's there's nothing there. It's just empty, empty space oh, that, filled with words. Dude, corporate non-speak has become its own thing. You, what you're saying ha- is like part of my job is they give me press releases and they're like, can you put any meat on this? And it's not even meat on these bones because there aren't even bones, you know? And a lot of, some of it is cleaning up grammar and just like rewriting because boy, oh boy, a lot of these people, they don't even know how to write. But then I have to search on the internet and get some tidbit about the company so I can put that in there and some tidbit about the product so I can put that in something. So it's not just the whole we're excited to do amorphous vapor, um, (laughs) you know, intangible thing. Yeah, I mean, that's in some possible future. Yeah, (laughs) that's kind of been discovery before the mergers whole thing is there's a whole lot of emptiness Mm -hmm. the vast majority of the shows they were producing were a whole lot of nothing yeah but you know unscripted yeah uh well lightly scripted i should say so they don't have to have a a staff room of writers they don't have to pay the production Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of money because you don't you only have one or two cameras that you're working and you know, there's no quote unquote director, even though, you know, you usually have some kind of a DP on set that's acting as the director and, you know, all this reality based programming that they shifted to that really turned out a very low investment, high profit series of shows. And then they take on Warner Brothers, which is a high investment, potential high profit return mm-hmm. or high investment, low profit return. And they don't know how to work with that yeah now it's uh, and, you know we kind of talked about this before this is what happens when you put um business school uh graduates in charge of creative production they they don't understand creative they understand what's the bottom line and it's not to say that that hasn't been part of show business since its inception i mean going back 400 years right but you know the the idea I always got, and the people that have talked about it when they talk about Louis Mayer and Jack Warner and all those guys, and and even you know Lou Wasserman and people more recently, it's like yeah they always had you know they always had you know one eye on the books, but the other eye was firmly in is this a good story? Is this a good? Is this going to be a good movie? Are we going to get Academy Award buzz? Are we going to get? Are we going to be able to attract more talent? Well, a lot of it also was sort of like you need a good story to bring the people in and make the money. Yeah. And and so even when even when they were really money grubbing, you know, that's why you would have these things where there's always a romance because the boy always has (laughs) to have a girl to get while he's uh, solving the problem, you know, and stuff like that. But at at the same time, there there was an appreciation that there has to be something there and. Yeah. Well, and yeah, the, the the whole I can't imagine anything more dispiriting than to than to work at Warner with the prospect that your ninety million dollar film may not even see the light of day yeah. once you've finished it. Yeah. 
Well, it's. Uh, did you guys ever see that documentary that's based on the book by Robert Evans, The Kid Stays in the Picture? I haven't watched it through, but I've so, heard enough from it, yeah. Part, part of the core of that is that he was getting these scripts, he was getting these ideas across his desk, and they were very creative ideas, and his willingness to bet the farm on that were always against up against Gulf Western, who was right. looking at it as an investment. And it was like, we have all this money invested in there, and you're turning out all this schlock. And it's like, well, you haven't given me time to really sort through. We're trying to pay the bills, so we're putting out stuff that's going to generate some income while we are a little more selective. And then, you know, here's a guy that produced some of the biggest hits for some of the most uh, paramount yeah exactly you know some you know big films like godfather and like love story and so forth and so having to have that i don't know if you want to call it ego or if you want to call it you know uh firmness in your belief that i have something here and to tell these money people that you got to give this a chance because it's something that's very meaningful and could literally turn around our studio and to finally convince them to do so. And then even in the midst of production, I think with Godfather, if I remember correctly, they tried to shut him down multiple times <laughs> yeah. when that turns out to be one of the biggest profitable films for Paramount ever. Right. And not to mention a cinematic masterpiece. Exactly. That, exactly. That would have been a fucking crime if it had stayed on the goddamn shelf. Yeah, uh, you know, imagine I'm, if it's under you know somebody like Zaslav and they, they get all this done, they get it all cut, it's getting all these fantastic uh, reviews in the preview screenings, and then before it goes into wide release, Paramount suddenly decides, eh, let's shelve it and take the tax write-off. Yeah. Because that's what we're looking at these days. <laughs> I'm not saying Batgirl would have been that type of film, but at least it could have had a shot at generating a positive return. Yeah. Same thing with that Scooby-Doo film that got shelved. By all accounts, that film was done, ready to go. <laughs> yeah, and there was a third one, too, that same thing. It was... It's like Batgirl, I think, still had some effects work to yep. do. But by all accounts, the Scooby-Doo film was ready to go. They could have not even put it on their own streaming service. They could have maybe sold it to another streaming ver service, which is kind of funny that's what paramount's doing with all the star trek stuff now is they they've yanked it off of paramount plus and now put it on to is it netflix now netflix. or is it hulu yeah. netflix yeah. and that's where netflix. all the dc yeah. warner brothers movies are they're on yeah. netflix it's crazy it's like oh well wait so we could put it on our own service and make less money or we could license it to another streaming service and make more money um let's do that <laughs> idiots yeah. Pick and choose your streaming services, people. Yeah. It's okay to cancel yeah. and resubscribe. Steve, should you did you cancel? Uh, I don't have to yet. Oh, okay. It was a two-month dealio. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Uh, he uh, had stars. to join a service so we could watch Poseidon Adventure. And oh, okay. Yeah. But I did discover when I did that that there was a service that I signed up for probably years ago at this point uh, to do the same thing and then forgot to cancel. <laughs> screen screen picks. Oh, well, yeah, but it's only a $2 a month deal. So. No wonder you didn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is, remember Matt said this, uh, Maple Leaf, mm -hmm. um, that he foresaw a day in the future where you, we would start to get an implosion of streaming services. And I think that's starting to happen. Yeah. Because one of the contentions about uh, 
Paramount Plus, and that is the stockholders are looking at that going, yeah, it's not really giving us the return that we thought it would. So maybe we're maybe everything will once again be on Netflix. The, the balkanization was only going to last for so long. Eventually, whether it's through corporate mergers or just them plain realizing that people are not going to pay 15 bucks a month for a dozen streaming services. Right. Each you know. fifteen bucks a month, each right. service. Yeah, if it had, if it was fifteen mo- bucks a month for a few different streaming services, that'd be one thing. Exactly, I'd be, I'd be on board with that. Yeah, but the fact that every single company was like, "Well, what if we try to capture the profits directly and make our own streaming service?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then suddenly you had this cornucopia of and, streaming services. And it's like, I love what I mean because we just we just touched on it. Why should Warner put their stuff on their service when they can license it and get more money by giving it to Netflix? <laughs> Just like, no, the whole point of having your service <laughs> was to put your own... Ch- what? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What? I think we're ultimately going to end up with with Disney, Netflix, and Apple+. Plus. Not to mention, we're starting to see a lot of overlap like yeah. when I like if I look up a film that I want to watch that I, I was yeah. like oh yeah let me look and see which service is it on and suddenly I find it's on three of the different services Dude, I have the, the the one non overlap I see usually when I do just watch to find out where I can find yeah. something steaming ste- steaming Ste- steaming <laughs> streaming <laughs> streaming Steaming's is right. uh you know aside from uh, what Steve does upstairs in the guest bathroom uh, is, uh, it is um is this is not available anywhere. Oh yeah, that's the worst. <laughs> you know, that's that's the one. Otherwise, it's like, well, you can rent or buy on Apple TV for three ninety nine, or Prime for four ninety nine, or net. You know, well, not Netflix uh, generally. YouTube, YouTube uh, for yeah. YouTube's a big one, and and you know, oh, Shutter, you can and there's a bugga bugga, and it's just like it. You can you can pay money to rent you know rent it on any number of streaming services or not it, available or not available and it's just it's <laughs> or it's on Tubi <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh yeah there's been a few times when I, when you know we were watching dark corners reviews and I was like oh I wonder, I wonder if that's streaming anywhere fucking Tubi <laughs> by the not way it's a good time to mention Tubi. one of our monkeys brought this to my attention many many years ago and I I'm sorry I don't remember who it was but if you download, if you have a any device that has Google Rewards on it, do yourself a favor and download that. You might take a survey here or there. Five, tens, five, ten, fifteen cents per survey. That goes towards your Google account. You want to rent a movie on YouTube? It's basically like getting that movie for free. I got over $40 in my Google account right now that I've never paid a cent to do if i want to rent a movie for five bucks it's not even a big deal it's basically not even 30 seconds of my time most of these surveys so mm. it's a great it's way to earn google play credit so that's a good way to especially like you were saying if you come across a film that's not available for free on the streaming services but you can quote rent it mm. that's a great way to do it mm. so i'm just mm. throwing that out there as another option for people, it's free to do. That's why we call Jeff the Savior. Is that <laughs> I wouldn't know about that's that. We, we called him that all these years. Oh, really? The okay. Savior. Okay. 
God. 80s Jeff the Savior. Every time you guys or the Savior. <laughs> It was just like, boy, the, the Savior. Save really, yourself some fun. Really power through. Right. The Savior really well actually me there. I, uh, I didn't know. And I, that's why we send our remains to the moon. I see. All right. <laughs> Weekend Geek! <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> A24 has announced they are partnering up with Kojima Productions to develop a Death Stranding movie. Uh, Kojima says, quote, we are creating a Death Stranding universe that has never been seen before, achievable only through... Never been heard of before. (laughs) Only achievable through the medium of film. It will be born, unquote. Uh, Kojima also added that he believes A24's, quote, innovative approach to storytelling matches what Kojima Productions have been doing for the last eight years. Uh, The original game, quote, challenges players to reconnect a fractured society after the cataclysmic death stranding event. This has opened a doorway between the living and the dead, leading to creatures from the afterlife roaming the fallen world marred by a desolate society. Carrying the disconnected remnants of a humanity's future in his hands, players embody Sam Bridges as he embarks on a mission to deliver hope to humanity by connecting the last survivors of a decimated America, unquote. I call it a walking simulator. Death Stranding had a lot of hype yes to its release years ago years ago yeah this game has been this this was a game that was a big release for playstation 4 right um i remember playing it and being very very bored (laughs) uh it's it's an interesting idea. If you have re- read David Brin's The Postman or watched the inferior movie based on The Postman, uh, it's that same idea. A decimated world and you are somebody that is actually connecting uh, civ- uh, p- pockets of civilization in the United States and you're traversing this desolate and dangerous land to do it. Um, I found the game very frustrating uh, for two reasons. One... Uh, you are always uh, the amount that you are carrying with you and you're carrying things like the postman and uh, and a baby usually uh, <laughs> from town to town. And you are always having to deal with your weight shifting one way or the other because of how much you are carrying and you can only move so fast. So it's a very slow walk from town to town and eventually you'll come across these pockets of the quote unquote dead which seem to be just tentacles that somehow spiritually move underground and grab you and whip you around and take you back a long way from where you wanted to be and it just sounds like the perfect Torgo game. It I'm really, not understanding anything it, here. It sounds like a Penn and Teller joke. It, that's what it feels like <laughs> when you play it. Now uh, there are some really interesting ideas. You do. There are some building that you do, and when you're playing in a world, you're playing in a world where other people are involved in it. Where at, uh, not where you will meet somebody else. You are alone in your world. But it's almost like a multiverse thing where when somebody does something in their world, it appears in yours. Like they build a bridge over a river that might appear there, or they leave a sign saying "Beware, stupid shit ahead." 
It's so it's one of those things where other people can affect your game by giving you information or making certain things easier. And you, by building things, can make things easier for other people as well. That's interesting. The whole idea of connecting the world is interesting. The actual gameplay of moving from place to place is absolutely a crawl. And folks, keep in mind, this is the guy who loves going running around Skyrim. Yes. Grabbing herbs. Yeah. And plants. Very true. Yes. I think it's the baby thing. That's what that's what pissed you off, isn't it? No, it's not. That's not that. That's not that. <laughs> and haven't they? It's just let me let me run with the baby longer. That's all. I just want to run a little faster. <laughs> haven't there been multiple attempts to make this into both a movie and TV series? No. in the past, uh, I think there was one attempt, um, but this is the first real foray of it looking like it's going to go forward. Because I swear to God, we talked about it going to be made into a TV series and then that failed and then it goes it's going to be made into a movie and then that failed uh, you, you you know what Jeff you have a better memory for this stuff than I do you're probably right I mean I could be wrong but I swear because it's been a good what six years since that game came no, out more yeah, than that it's probably more than that but uh I mean, this is the first game that Kojima Productions released. They're an eight-year-old company, so it's definitely within that window. Mm. Mm. So now, again, there is a potential for interesting story in there. There is an interesting story in that game. Mm. And it's possible that I didn't play it long enough to truly unlock mm. that story. I think the 14 hours I put in was plenty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, it's a long, desolate slog uh -huh. between places. That's... That, and then you just you fall over, you get tired. It's, you got uh, you got to rest. Fall over and get tired. Yeah. Wow, it's uh, it's not the survival simulator I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, that was one of my that was one of the things that led me to finally not necessarily rage quitting, but just sort of mech quitting. Uh, Star Trek Fleet Command was when when you're more civilized or more or, you know higher point systems got to be further and further away and your ship just didn't go any faster it was just like when's it gonna get there in an hour now here's the thing with that game right they do that because they want you to pay to lessen the grind. They yeah. increase the grind so that you'll pay more money, so it'll go faster, so you can don't have to play as much. Yeah. It, actually, the, I think their thing is, because you do end up with a fleet of ships, um, is that, yeah, they want you to stay in, not necessarily to make it faster, but just so that you will break down and buy more stuff to get more ships so that yes yeah. death stranding doesn't have this oh <laughs> there is no way to pay to go faster the grind is the game yeah Oof. right and uh, i mean a lot of games now are coming with artificial grind so that especially mobile games because the whole point is to make some parts of it boring so you'll pay to go past that part oh man if i had to do that with horizon both zero dawn and forbidden west that game would have taken forever because, I mean, it's it's one thing to, you know, get a, a, you know, one of the little mechanical beasts and then ride it to areas you haven't been before. But then once you open up that fast travel spot, it makes the game so much more tolerable. But if you just had, because 
especially at Forbidden West, that map is massive. There are areas I still haven't opened just because it's so big. You know, trying to do, you know, side missions and other things and the fact that I don't play it as often as I'd like. I mean, it could take me another year to open the rest of that map. Sure, but it's not so far that it's an absolute grind, right? Yeah, yeah. Because... Like Death Stranding, they didn't build it with a grind in mind. Yeah. They built it to be as fun as it could and still feel open as expansive. Yeah, and there's what, things to do along the way, too. Exactly. Uh, whereas that's a game designed to be fun. Most mobile games aren't designed to be fun. No. They're designed to be dopamine buttons. <laughs> yes. That you, to get another dopamine hit, you have to pay more so it comes faster. Yeah, do, you guys, uh, do, you guys, do you guys know the game Evany? I know. I, I know, know the advertisements. It. Yes, yes. That's what you know. They had the one advertisement that kept popping up and popping up and popping up, and it's the guy that goes, "You see all these other apps, and then you finally get the game, and it's nothing like the ad, and blah blah blah." Ebony's not like that. You solve the puzzle, you build your thing, and I was like, "All right, it's free to play." <laughs> so let me uh, let me just download it and see if this is true because I, you know, I the puzzle aspect of it I kind of liked. So sure enough, it's uh, it, it, when you download it, it starts you off doing a bunch of those puzzles. It eventually turns into an empire builder. But what I like about it is, I I think I've paid for extra stuff, maybe twice, and certainly no more than five bucks each time I've done that. And I've been playing it for almost a year now. And when oh, you're em- still playing it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because A, it doesn't cost anything. B, the Empire building is pretty good. I still don't really know what I'm doing because it's much like playing an Artificer. There's just a whole bunch of shit going on. So it's just got a whole bunch of crap going on. And if you get bored with the Empire Builder, you go back to solving the little puzzles. And when you get done, if you get bored solving the little puzzles, you can go back and do the Empire Builder. So it's kind of a you know catch-all game that doesn't really cost me anything i can see i'm getting to a place where if i want to advance it's going to cost me more gems or more of this but on the other hand since i've been playing it for a year and not paying money and doing all the dailies i've got this giant backlog of gold and wheat and wood and and all this stuff and it's like i'm not gonna have to pay for anything in this game for probably another year or two years if i keep going at this pace now having said that since i have figured out the dailies and everything i can usually play it for like 15 minutes and then i'm kind of done for the day (laughs) so i don't know that there are people that you know have been paying and it does help if you're in a good alliance you know which i'm not i'm in an okay alliance you know a good alliance meaning that if it's a 30 person alliance that 30 people are actually playing i'm in an alliance where there's 30 people in it and it's like me and five other guys <laughs> so any kind of alliance advantage we really don't have one but um but it's better than the first alliance i had when it was really just me and one other guy playing but but that's that's this dopamine thing it's just like it's like i play for 50 minutes oh good i succeeded there oh good i succeeded there oh good i succeeded there are my dailies done uh, excellent i can go off and do something else i can go play civ 5 for five hours now 
<laughs> What's your thought on grindy dopamine games? Write to us, comments at geekshockpodcast.com. And I want to thank our tier two members, Mike M., Mama Ninja Scoop, Heidi Johnson, David Hydebreyer, Scoop Bucky, Aaron Esquire, Minty Scoop, Two is One, Leon Mitt, uh, Scooby Ramon, Gelato Steve, and David Farrar. And of course, our tier four members, Deb T., J.R. Conkle, and our tier five members, Jeff Harris, Mad Martron, Glumly, and Atomic Gumby, and our brand new tier one member, Stefan Moeller. Welcome aboard. Thank you Yay. for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. And all you Kofi members that have supported the show now and over the years, thank you so much for uh, helping us along the way. And of course, you, dear listener, just for tuning in, we love you. Yeah. And a special thank you to our theme song creator, Sam Heffernan. That song is called The Burning Light. You can find his music at SWH Music on Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitch. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander Dopamine. <laughs> With Professor Biggs. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. Yeah, I, I think the only dopamine button game that I've been a part of forever has been Marvel Puzzle Quest. But I have been a part of it forever. Yeah, I've been literally part of it probably for eight years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If not wow. more. If not more. The, uh, you know, when they dropped DC Legends, they had all the, oh, go join this other, you know, DC game. But it's basically a puzzle game. Mm -hmm. All this. And I'm like, it's okay. Yeah, it's, if, if it's not your bag, it's not your bag. It's not my bag. Yeah. And I'm like, mm. so it's still sitting there. I have no idea if my alliance has kicked me out yet, but it's still sitting there. <laughs> but you know what? I, I have a caveat with that game. I can't just play that game. Like, I can't, like, sit in the bathroom and play that game. I can't sit uh, just in the room and just play that game. I have to be listening to the news yeah. to play that game. Oh, yeah. I have to have something that's actually engaging my brain, and yeah. this is something to do with my fingers while I'm actually listening to the news. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh. Phone games. Phone games. No thanks. <laughs> oh, I liked Zombie Gunship, but eventually I stopped. Why'd you stop? Well... Um, I, you know, it's free to play and I did buy stuff, um, but it was really, f <laughs> oh my God, it, it attacked him. The zombie plague is upon us. Oh, hey, no. hey, I run, came out of nowhere. My run for the garage. Folks. Holy mackerel. But, um, I, I played it for several months. This was during lockdown. And then when, um, when finally, uh, you know, final Joe, <laughs> what the? It's so, it's so fucking true. Oh, he's deadly. <laughs> there's, there's anthrax spores flying out of his face. Somehow, somehow that game over time has entered his brain. Oh, and it's the cordyceps. Oh, yes, man. yes, it's it. It's give him actual suggestions. So if he starts to say something negative, it makes him sneeze. It hits me. I was waiting for his head to split open oh, and the thing to grow out of the top. <laughs> But, I mean, uh, it seems like a bit, but that just happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I put uh, once, uh, like you know, stimulus came in and everything. I put forty or fifty bucks into it, buying little packages. Oh wow! To augment, but this is over the course of a couple months. So, to be perfectly honest, I wasn't bothered by that. But I did hit a point where I was like. I couldn't move forward and I couldn't figure out how to buy and what I had to buy and get myself to move on. And also, I kind of got the feeling, because uh, I know that there are a few games that are like this, where buying the improvements is not as good as the improvements you get in-game. 
Ah. And uh, that I was beginning to see. It was like, mm-hmm. you know what? Uh, whatever I do to improve this or improve that, buy this uh, new weapon that I have access to, improve its accuracy, improve its hitting power. When I level up, I get a, a shot at that weapon, you know, in the uh, development phase, and the, the one that's in the level up is better. And so I did sort of hit the zone of I spend and I spend, but if I level up, I get better. And this is becoming too tedious for me to try to level up here. And I (laughs) just kind of just, I just sort of faded out. And I also didn't like the whole, you know, you, you got to progress. I understand that. But at the same time, there was like, oh, okay, what's the new thing I'm going to have to deal with? (laughs) Oh, the vampires can actually attack people from a distance. That's interesting you know and yeah eventually i was just like ah but and also complications i know you like things like that like like, well it's like here's the place and just circle around blow up zombies and clear it out enough that we can land and rescue the people inside oh the people are in this building they need to get to this building to be rescued so now it's clear the zombies and let the get the people over to the other building and then Oh, they got to get in this building, and we got to secure this item. Uh, you know, strategy so logistics. Oh, this is what I'm God. hearing. God, it's like I just want to mow down zombies. <laughs> you know, but there's, there's it, it, it's the same map and the same mission. So it's not like okay, here's a new map of just mowing down the zombies. It's like no, you're gonna have to like. You got to grid the potion of Norel in the cut in order to strengthen your men. And those men have to go over to the fence, blow up the hole in the fence so the people can escape through the hole in the fence. But you got to get past the zombies first to do that. Uh But you need a special kind of gun to get past those kind of zombies. And a special kind of wood because only a certain kind of wood affects that particular kind of zombie. And then you got Cheryl who's not pulling her weight. So you got to kick Cheryl off the line, get Steve in there. Not this Steve, the other Steve. (laughs) (laughs) This whole bit yeah. right now is so Shaun of the Dead, and it's yeah, not yeah. even funny. <laughs> yeah, and you know that's kind of what it, it was starting to go into, and I'm like, all right, they're asking me to put way too much thought into just blowing away zombies. <laughs> I shouldn't have to think too hard about this, even yeah. if I'm in a gunship. And this is why Vampire Survivors is a game you should play. Uh, <laughs> or Ebony. Or, no! Or, don't do it! There's no zombies in Ebony. Or or the road. Or interesting thing happening. Hey, yeah, you know, the, the road happening. Yeah, the road. <laughs> road. The road. The game. There yeah. you go, Todd. There's is Cormac endle- McCarthy's The Road? Yeah. <laughs> en- endless, road. endless walking with a baby. Oh my God, that's <laughs> Death Stranding! <laughs> 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 <laughs>